iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking transfers and a few clubs making some slightly rushed and panicked decisions towards the end of this window. We'll also be talking captaincy, does it matter as much as it used to? And we'll be discussing Ben Foster's retirement from football and the raising standards in the Football League. We'll also be talking Everton and Aston Villa. And joining me, Tom Clark, to discuss all of that is Chief Correspondent for the Sunday Times and the Times, Martin Samuel, Football Correspondent for the Sunday Times, Johnny Northcroft, and everyone's favourite former left-back turned football writer, Gregor <laughs> Robertson. Chaps, before we get into all of that that I've already yeah. outlined, yeah. we have to react to the news of Mason Greenwood and his departure from Manchester United. Obviously, we discussed the sensitivities around the issue last week in great, great detail, so I don't want to go over too much old ground. But it is incredibly difficult now, isn't it? Manchester United and the player and his family have all taken this decision that he's going to move on and move away from the club. But what now has become the big question for Paul Hurst and all the journalists covering this this week on The Times? Martin, you've spoken quite passionately on this podcast and in your columns about Manchester United's duty of care towards the player. That has become part of the reporting in terms of what they do with him, where they send him. Mm. Do, you, do you think that's right? And do you think that comes into it as well in terms of what club he goes to next? I'm not sure they're going to have enough options, really, to you know to start weighing one um, club up against another club. Uh, you know, so far, there doesn't seem to be uh, too many clubs queuing up. I, 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 in the piece that I wrote earlier in the week, I said about Saudi Arabia, because people was going, oh, Saudi Arabia is a nat- natural destination. Mm. And you're thinking, well, not really, because the whole point of the Saudi Arabia project is to try to burnish their image, to try to win hearts and minds on friends and influence and all of that. I'm not quite sure that Mason Greenwood is, you know, Michael Emanello is in, in charge of that. I, you know, if Michael Emanello was Chelsea, would he be trying to sign Mason Greenwood? Mm. No, he wouldn't. Um, so I don't see that that's his move for the, the Saudi league. Mm. Um, then you, then people were talking about Roma. Roma distanced themselves immediately. I think we, I think it's quite uh, presumptuous on our part to start listing all these countries that we think have got some somehow mm. lower standards than us. And, and and right from the start, and this is why I said about. It's Manchester United's duty to make this work, and I know it's. A, I know that's a minority uh, view, but that was one of the reasons. Mm. Because if you are saying Mason Greenwood cannot play for our club, why mm. should he be able to play for your club? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, another issue, Johnny, which Paul Hurst has mm. raised in his reporting is around the fact that you know a lot of United sources that. Paul's talked about said, oh, you know, this was or is a £100 million player. And just in terms of his football, mm-hmm. talking this, and 
but obviously it's also a player who hasn't played any football for a long time. So if you're a club looking at him and taking that chance in terms of the PR and the politics and the image issue, mm. you've also got to ask, am I getting the Mason Greenwood that we saw burst onto the scene? Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't played in 18 months and I think, like many, I've watched the footage of him training and, and from what you can glimpse, he, doesn't, he didn't, doesn't look like a player that's exactly ready to play right now. That's part of it, I suspect, for the reasons Martin said, that United might be facing a position where they, they release him at the, end of, um, at the end of this month to allow him to, to move on a, a, as a free agent. Um, but again, like Martin said, any buying club or, or, or club that wants to sign him will face exactly the same issues that United faced and decided that they couldn't surmount uh, in their decision to, to no longer work with him, as it were, all their announcement and decision has done has really kicked the can down the road, I think, for, for Mason Greenwood. And as we said here last week, you know, we live in an age of transparency. We live in an age where it's not like the old days where a, a, someone in authority can just tell people how it is and then they'll accept it. I think people want to make their own minds up about things these days. And in the age of social media, what they see and what they hear is extremely important. So we know what's out there about Mason Greenwood that, that, that came out on social media. And until there's an answer to that, until that's explained in a way that satisfies people, and, and Manchester United have clearly decided they couldn't do so, mm. and they couldn't bring Mason Greenwood to a press conference, mm. and they couldn't have the chief executive sit down and tell us exactly why, because then the statement says mm. Mason Greenwood's innocent of everything, mm. blah, blah, blah. And of course, he is in the eyes of the law, but they, they haven't explained things. And that might be right or wrong, but that's the reality of the world now. Mm. I don't, uh, supporters and the public won't be happy until they can have an explanation for what's out there. And, and just further to, to, to John's point there, that while you're waiting for him to get fit, so while you're waiting for this supposed benefit of getting a hundred million pound player for, for, for next to nothing, while you're waiting for that to happen, what is going on outside your football club is this raging argument and, and demonstrations and all that, yeah. all of that will come with it. Mm. And you've got two months, maybe, or a yeah. month or, or something before there's any actual benefit. And in, uh, in that period of time, that's all you've got. All you've got is the negativity. Mm. And I think, I think football's been, is behind on this. It is behind on the strength of people's feeling about issues around gender violence and, and, mm. and, and, and women's rights and so on. United clearly were, otherwise they'd have made this decision very, very early and, and been a lot clearer about it. But the fact that the Saudi league can signal to us that actually we can't sign him because it would compromise our efforts in the yeah. women's game. Yeah. The fact that Roma are rushing to distance themselves. Mm -hmm. That tells you the problem that, that, that Mason Greenwood is going to face when he, when he signs for anyone else. Any other club, any club buying him is going to have to answer exactly the same. I think, and I don't think it's, you know, I think in, in, in many countries, not just in, in Britain as we've already seen, we'll have to answer this backlash. Yeah, well, it's certainly going to be one of the big talking points of the next week or so as we head towards the end of the transfer window. We're going to move on now and talk about Manchester City, all their uh, interest and rumours coming late in the window. They're normally a club who get their deals done, get the players in. Reading this morning on the Times website, uh, Paul Hurst writing their interest in Wolves, Maches, Nunes and Crystal Palace, Everichie, Eze. We were talking before coming on the pod in our little planning chat, Gregor, 
It's very unlikely. Shit, isn't it? Night on magic there, you know, that this is planned. <laughs> yeah, come on. We've got, we do a little bit of planning. Just you I'm wait. Never around for it, so just, it's not planned. <laughs> just, you, just you wait for the quiz questions later, Martin. Yeah, that's exactly. Not, yeah. yeah, that's definitely not planned. <laughs> but this is quite unlike City, isn't it, Gregor, in terms of it seems a little bit rushed, a little bit panicked, a little bit Chelsea-esque, should we say? Yeah, I think in a, a few ways, even the, the profile of the players, you see them going for a, a Wolves a wolf midfielder, a Crystal Palace attacking midfielder and a, a blisteringly quick winger in Jeremy Doku yeah. as well. So I think there's a profile and also, as you say, the kind of slightly panicked, desperate uh, appearance of, it, of some of it as well. Part has to do with Saudi, Saudi Arabia's emergence as well. You know, I think mm. probably a lot yeah. of this has been mm. accelerated. <clears throat> the, we had Maris leaving. That's, that's the same. Same. The same is true for for several clubs in the in the Premier League now, and obviously Kevin De Bruyne's injury. So it is definitely, you know, some transfer activity that wasn't planned, mm. and that makes it fascinating. I think you know, I'd I'd love to see it, someone like Eze step up to play for a you know an elite side. Mm. Same same with Elise, who obviously was linked with Chelsea before. The two players who I loved watching in the football league yeah. and. No, it's been great to watch for Palace too, but it is something new for a club like Manchester City, mm. who normally seem to be so well planned and often they surprise you too sometimes with transfers. But in a way where it'll be someone from I don't know Brazil or <laughs> you know like kind of Portuguese <laughs> league, yeah, 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 like yeah. players that you know they're not familiar to us in the Premier League. It's quite rare. Although Grealish is one example, but mm. it's quite rare that they kind of go and try, try and cherry pick the best players in the Premier League too. Johnny, how do you think Pep Guardiola fits into all of this? Because it just strikes me that, you know, thinking about Jeremy Doku, Paul Hurst has written mm. a profile of him, 21 years old. Guardiola's been mm. at the club a long time. For these players, Eze, for example, if he mm. was to move, that would be a big thing. I'll get to work with Pep Guardiola. You know? yeah. And you go back to the famous Manchester United Robin Van Persie situation where Van Persie talked about how slightly fuming he was that he joined Manchester United and only got one year of one yeah, of the yeah. great managers. Yeah. Do we think this is part of Pep Guardiola going... You know, phase three, phase four, whatever, whatever it would be. Well, I think it tells us what we already know that he's an incredible football purist who loves technique and skill and, like, the, you know, he's interested in Pakita, for example. The players he goes for are, are mm. really uh, aesthetic, mm. uh, skill players. But there's there's a point to that, which is his game system's always been based on creating one-on-one opportunities, overloads, and then and then opportunities that skillful players can exploit. And he does tend to go for players with brilliant one-on-one skills, dribbling skills. He went for Mahrez at a time when people were a little bit doubtful that this was a £60 million player. And for me, one of the one of the great players of the modern era that, that, that's always been a bit underrated. So you can see with Doku, who's pure mm-hmm. talent, um, pace, trickery, incredible dribbling ability, but very rough around the edges. Those players haven't always worked for Pep, so he went for Ferran Torres, who was maybe slightly similar and, and, and couldn't teach him to keep the ball well enough to, to, to stay with City, and that would be Doku's issue. Uh, but with, with Eze and Nunes, the, the two of the most pleasing players on the eye in the, in, mm. in the Premier League, and, and, and Guardiola looks at things like, you know, can players eliminate the opposition with a pass? Can they eliminate, eliminate them with a, a bit of skill? And that's what these these guys do but it's, it's late in the window isn't it mm. I mean transfers aren't simple anymore to extract any player from a Premier League club takes a process yeah. to, they're starting it late yeah Haaland also changed the way City play so mm. to think of Doku playing you know the, the occasions last season where they, they, had, they went more direct than we've ever seen City play before mm. 
his pace alongside yeah. that was is kind of quite thrilling to think about, and it is it is extraordinary pace. I mean, there's some great lines in Paul Hurst's piece about Mbappe talking about mm. never seeing a player mm. have such acceleration from a standing start. Um, Thierry Henry saying if you know if he if he's one on one with a player, all you can do is pray, mm-hmm. and and it kind of reminds you a bit of I remember the first time I saw Adama Traore play mm. uh, for Borough yeah. in the flesh, yeah. and it was like. You know, your eyes widen <laughs> and he's like slalom between players who, who are like not even turned before he's passed them. It's just like, wow. And he has got he has, he has got some of that, but, you know, with the rawness as well. So, you know, to, to think of what Guardiola could make of him is, mm. is quite exciting. Mm. So Guardiola adding another talent, Martin. You wrote in your uh, Tuesday column for the Times mm-hmm. about Kevin De Bruyne's absence yeah. and what that might mean for the season. How much of these moves do you think is reactionary to that injury for De Bruyne? Well, I think a lot of it because it's not just about De Bruyne. It, it, it's the fact that, you know, because a lot of people were saying when I wrote that and people go, oh, yeah, but they've lost De Bruyne in the past and it hasn't made any difference. They still won the league. You know, yeah, but they've lost De Bruyne and they've lost Gundogan and they've lost Mahrez. They've, and at the start of the season, they haven't had Bernardo Silva either. So they've lost an entire midfield, basically. And this is it's the reaction to that, I think, as much as anything else. And, and the, the Saudi Arabia thing that, that Gregor mentioned there, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, Richard Masters came out a couple of weeks and said, oh, we're not worried about Saudi Arabia. And I'm thinking, well, why aren't you worried about Saudi Arabia, mate? Because we are losing players that were an asset to our league to Saudi Arabia. We haven't lost players to another league at the level of Mahrez uh, and guys like that. Mm. But, I, you know, we might lose the odd superstar to Barcelona or Real yeah. Madrid and uh, and that will always happen. Laporte as well. Yeah. But Laporte, yeah. to, you know, these these are good players. Yeah. These are really and, good players. And you look at how Mitrovic, for example, is going to weaken football. That's a club's top player mm. gone. Yeah. yeah. That's Fulham's best player. Yeah. That's If you went to see Fulham and you wanted to see the best team that Fulham could put out, you'd want Mitrovic mm. to be on that team sheet. And he's gone. Has it made you sad, Johnny, as well? As a football correspondent, you know, wanting to watch the best players every week, you know, seeing those players leave, yeah. at, you know, at the top of, still at the top of their yeah, game. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's particularly mad as for just, mm. just, just one of my favourite players. But I mean, Mo Salah, Liverpool may face a fight, if mm. not this window, over the next year mm. to keep Mo Salah because he's so attractive to Saudi. Mm. What would the league be like without Salah? That'd mm. be, you know, it's been a joy watching him throughout his career. So of course, and, and, and as Martin said, it's been a long time since England has been in a position where it's a league that loses players to, yeah. in any volume so elsewhere. Long so time. Well, there'll be some conflicting feelings among Premier League clubs about this <laughs> because it's also a way of shifting yeah, some yeah. heavy dates. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. So like, there's a bit of a conflict, I think, in this. Keep that SFP uh, <laughs> things on track. Now, I wanted to finish this talking to you, Johnny, about your uh, piece in the Sunday Times. British transfer record can be a motivation but could be yeah. a curse. Uh, listing lots of players and there was a quite revealing chart in there of the Premier League's biggest buys. Players like Paul Pogba, Mikhailo Mudrik, Anthony, Harry Maguire, you know, some of those players that you think, oh, they didn't quite justify that fee. Romelu Lukaku as well. But your uh, piece started with a story of Steve Daly, one yeah. that I hadn't heard before. Tell no. us about that. Oh, I mean, maybe it's my, maybe I'm showing my age, but Steve no. Daly is the first one I, <laughs> it's the first one I remember really as a, as a kid. Yeah, you know, I think 1979. So I'd have been about revealing my age as eight at the time. So, <laughs> but yeah, 
Steve Daly, 1.5 million. He wasn't a massive player. He was a promising player, a good player, but not a not a England star or anything like that. And was and was was bought by City for this huge amount of money. And um, when he was signed, he was called the six six million dollar man, even though 1.5 million was only three yeah. million dollars. But mm-hmm. as I said in the piece, when you become that record transfer, it was probably you know it was probably near six. In 1979, incredible debut mm. he makes a late tackle he's sent off and, and there's a different level of scrutiny if he'd done that for Brighton yeah. but also if he just moved for £60 million pounds. so if you look at that list it's, it's interesting seeing some great names but also mm. just as many names that you think oh my goodness he was a, he was a record transfer yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well you I'm reference sorry. some of those players who the quality of some of them, Dennis Law, Brian yeah. Robson, Dennis yeah. Bergkamp, Alan Shearer, Roy Keane, Rio yeah. Ferdinand. Any of those that stick out for you that, you know, record signing that absolutely justified the price tag of those? I think Roy Keane did. Uh, I think Brian Robson did. I think Alan Shearer did. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. But they're getting bigger and bigger, these fees now, so it becomes harder to justify. Do you think our, our you know, our perception is warped slightly? Or what you know, yeah. for for me, for example, as someone a little bit younger than you, if I may, uh, for those transfers back in the day, Roy Keane, that transfer was that. Wow! Oh my God, they've spent that much in the same way as now we're reacting to these hundred million pound fees. Was it as as was the perception as? Oh my God! I don't think so. With Roy Keane, was it because it was it was two and a half million? It didn't didn't move the dial a lot. The million pound players, the first generation, like the, yeah, the first Steve Daly Francis was one. Stuff like that. That was a wow moment, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. And yeah. now we're in the hundred million. Too, I think that was a wow, definitely. I think Shield yeah. was a wow as well, because everyone expected him to go to Manchester United. Mm. You know, I mean, it was front page on the Sun mm. um, at that on, on that morning. Unfortunately, yes. on that morning yeah. it was the front page that said she was signed for Manchester United, yeah. and it was one word out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? But um, and so I think it was wow in that respect yeah. as well because everyone expected him to go to United. I think there's a lot. There's a lot more in the old days. There's probably a lot more whim or randomness to transfer fees. I think, and I, I always think of um, Rangers beating the, the the Scottish transfer record with Tor Andre Flo. You'll remember mm. Gregor, um, and they paid twelve million quid for for Flo. It, it didn't deliver at all, um, but it was an amazing fee to pay because mm. the transfer record at the time was held by Celtic, six million for John Hartson. And the 12 million was because David Murray just wanted to double the transfer. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and Flo was probably the, the victim of that rather than the, the benefit. Could have had him for six and a half and still beat could have had him for six and a half. Why not? Yeah. Let's yeah, stick another like 10. Tw- let's do 12. There, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> stick another 10 on top. Well, it, absolutely fascinating. We'll see what other deals will be done in the next week or so as we head towards the end of the transfer window. Moving back into the action on the field, 
Aston Villa 5-0 winners against Hibernian in the first leg of their Europa Conference League playoff. Back in Europe for the first time in 13 years. A huge moment for the club and a sign of things to come, Martin. Yeah, I mean, look, two points. One, it's a great shame that these Battle of Britain matches aren't what they used to be. You know, that the golf now is is, is so great in, yeah, in many two, ways. Two no, 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 no. But, Aberdeen uh, Burnley was the last great uh, class. Yeah, <laughs> probably was. But I mean, it used to be, I can remember going up, I think, to a UEFA Cup match when Liverpool drew Celtic. One, oh, it was, one, it was one. quite rare yeah. um, because there wasn't as much European football and there were fewer teams in Europe, so it was quite rare that you got these pairings. But even though it was a UEFA Cup game, there was a massive sort of excitement around it. It's Liverpool Celtic. And it was a tight game. It was a really great game. It was a great atmosphere, etc. And yesterday, you're thinking, oh, it's with Hibs. It's at, it's, at, it's at Hibernian there. You know, they'll, they'll put it up to Villa and, mm. and stuff. And 5 0. And you think, oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's not the, it's not the same. That's the, that's the first point. And the second point is the Conference League, if you're in it, if you're the sort of club that's in it, I'm not talking about if you're Liverpool and you end up in the Conference League or, or whatever. But if you're Aston Villa, this is a great tournament for you. Mm-hmm. It's a great tournament that you could win. You can end up in the Europa League. You'll see your team win a trophy. There's not enough opportunity for clubs outside that top six and probably now seven with Newcastle. There's not enough opportunity these days for them to win a trophy. The reason you can um, reel off, or I can reel off, every single winner of the FA Cup from when I first started paying attention to it to pretty much the beginnings of the modern era is because it was a different team every year. So, you you know, you remember that it was Sunderland and mm. it was Ipswich and it was... It. Whereas now, you go, OK, mm. well, it was one of Liverpool, Chelsea... Manchester United or Manchester City or Arsenal. It was one of them and they've just basically handed it round to each other like the pass the parcel. Mm. So there's not that much opportunity. If you're Aston Villa, what are you going to win? So this is something you can win. Yeah. And what a what a great start. So uh, the only shame of it is there's not really a game in the second leg for, yeah. for the Villa fans to get yeah. excited about. There's not really, you know, it, it's, jeopardy, done. Yeah. it's done. I'll come to the point on the Scots to one of you in a minute. I'll decide who. I'll tell you what, Johnny, you can have it. Gregor, firstly, to Martin's point about the Conference League, you covered West Ham's triumph last season. Do you agree? Did it feel like that being in those grounds, going to all these places, different different stadiums that you visited? Did, did, did the excitement feel like it was there? Because as Martin said, there was a bit of snobbery around the whole Thursday night, etc. not just with the Conference League, but with the Europa League as well for a while. I feel like that in the latter stages, but let's be honest, all cup all cup competitions are the same now in that regard, isn't it? Mm. If, yeah. if you're a team who's got a chance of winning it, the early rounds are just about getting through. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that was that was true of the group stages in, in West Ham's, but then towards the end, you know, in the last few rounds, when there was actually a bit of jeopardy as well, there were some really great moments. That Declan Rice's goal at London Stadium, mm. and I think the quarterfinals was like the roof came off. That was the best atmosphere I'd seen there, mm. and obviously the, the the final and the celebrations and, and everything that we saw we saw how much it meant to. Yeah. To moist to the team, to all the yeah. all the fans. So absolutely, and they, and for some a club like Villa too, it can be seen as a stepping stone because mm. they, you know although mm. Martin's right, they you know they're not got any chance of winning silverware just now. They have ambitions to do that, and absolutely. they also have the resources. Johnny, to the point on the Scots, then did well, you, how did you feel? Did you feel pain? Did you I feel did realism? Actually. You know, because there is a there is a factor here where the disparities between the squads. 
you know, I just, it struck me when I was discussing with um, Michael Grant in the preview, Greg, I'm sure you probably feel the same, Adam Lafondre, yeah. uh, very much a journeyman <laughs> from the English Football League, is part of the Hibs squad. He's 36. He was playing at Newport a few years ago. I saw him play against Lincoln yeah. in the last night. Adam Lafondre. Nothing against Adam Lafondre, no, by the way, if you're listening and watching, but that is the reality of this situation, it's, isn't it? it no, it's... As far as Adam Lafondre, I would not think that was nothing against Adam <laughs> that's, that's you, know, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be sitting there thinking, oh, well, that's nothing against me. You know, the fame career. He did, he was very good. He was very good, but I didn't expect him to be in the Europa Conference League at 36. That's the point. Sorry, Adam. Johnny. No, yeah, look, I, I did feel, I mean, I, mean, I felt we Scots are quite parochial, so I felt a slight bit of amusement, although I quite like Hibs, but more, mostly, <laughs> mostly pain, mostly pain. Because it, this is economic, you know, it, it has always bugged me that um, there's a sort of laugh, laughter about the, the Scottish league, this side of the board, and sometimes there's an edge to it that suggests that you guys think that, you know, we're useless at football, and we've sort of made these choices, we've chosen to have our top flight full of journeyman players. It's, it's just economics. Mm. It's yeah. purely economics. I remember being told 20 years ago by a Scottish top flight manager, Dick Campbell at Dunfermline, that he just lost a striker he was trying to, to sign to a non-league club in England to a conference because his wages were a grand a week. That was 20 years ago and he couldn't afford them. That's worse now. And it's wor- the disparity worse now. is much worse now. So that's, that's, that's where we are. Um, if you look at Celtic, Joe Hart and goals, Premier League clubs don't want him anymore. You look at Rangers, maybe their two best players over the last five years have been Tavernier and Connor Goldson, superb players for Rangers, but players that haven't got you know suitors, the English players, but players who don't have big suitors in England trying to bring them back south of the border. And it just comes down to, to economics and to wages. And it will, it will continue getting worse. But um, I suspect, I wasn't there, but I suspect... Hibs quite enjoyed playing Aston Villa and for them there's a little prize in that in itself mm. um, and it'll be a day that, that their players get to remember hoping for better when Aberdeen play Hacken of, of Sweden tonight uh, and we've, we've got half a chance but certainly when you draw the English clubs you don't anymore It's also the you know Martin's talking about the Battle of Britain thing where usually they've always involved the old firm mm. Yeah So, yeah, so now we're talking about the step down from the old firm is like it is <laughs> a ridiculous game, yeah. and the step down in, in England is not quite the same. No, no, no so that's a big reason. Um, but Johnny's right, and he, you know, you saw John McGinn speaking about yeah. this game. He said, like before the game, you know, don't take it lightly. And, you know, it turned out to be wrong. So <laughs> he was saying that I take it personally when people start slagging up the Scottish yeah, game, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, people can be quite defensive about it. Right, but it shows but, you the, the, the value of. If it needed any more pointing out, the value of the television money because you know, Rangers and Celtic, in terms of footfall, in terms of getting people through the turnstiles, they're up there with anybody. Then you go to the other part of the game to do with television revenue and all of that, and that's where it falls off the cliff because you know, you, you don't get barn gate money. Alone these days, you can't get barn gate money, you have to have that backup revenue stream of broadcasting. A little dig in there from Johnny for Joe Hart as well, just to make me feel a little bit better about my life. <laughs> it wasn't, it against, wasn't the way you As you would say, nothing against Sorry. Joe Hart. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to wrap up on this game, of course, you know, we're talking about big, big, broad topics here. On the game itself, hat-trick for Ollie Watkins. Mm. Um, Charlotte Dunker is interviewing him and you can read that piece on the Times website by the time that you're listening to this podcast. Martin, just very quickly on him, what do you make of him as a player 
kind of been in and out of the England reckoning. Mm. Do you think this season it feels like he's Unai Emery's giving him the chance to be the leading man? Yeah, absolutely. And Emery's a good manager, and he will improve greatly under under Emery. I would I would imagine. And you know, with the situation, the short term situation, at least with Ivan Tony, Gareth Southgate needs backup strikers and. You'd look at Ollie Watson. Ollie Watson, who's Ollie Watson? Probably a rugby player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a rugby player. <laughs> but you'd look at him and you'd look at Callum Wilson and and, and, and um, they're the leaders in the clubhouse. Yeah, absolutely. Big season for Ollie Watkins and big season for the game podcast. We hope you're enjoying it. If you are, make sure you're subscribed and you can get all the uh, best of these guys' writings on the Times website now. Just go to times.co.uk forward slash the game for the latest subscription offer. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So a brilliant and exciting start to the season for Aston Villa. Definitely not two words that you can attribute to Everton's start to the season and not just on the pitch, but off it as well. Uh, Things took a turn for the worst on Wednesday when MSP Sports Capital withdrew from talks about taking a minority stake in the club. Obviously been very difficult for Everton on the pitch for quite a while and off it, Martin. What did you make of this latest development? It's just, it's Everton, isn't it? You know, it, it, you know, I don't know if there's a ballroom equivalent of lads, it's Tottenham, but it'll be lads, it's Everton, wouldn't it? I mean, it, it, it's, and it's the sort of thing that happens to Everton. Nothing seems to be going right at the football club at the moment. Um, they've got Sean Dyche in and, and, and he can't even make them, you know, sort of tight and resilient, or which, which is the one thing you'd think he would be able to do. Um, and they can't even do that. They haven't got a striker. The relationship between the, the fans and the board is at an all-time low, and I wouldn't have thought this helps it too much. It's just a bad luck zone at the moment in Goodison Park, unfortunately. And, you know, they need money. You don't... We don't... <laughs> We don't know what the Football League, uh, the Premier League's verdict is going to be on on, on their finances. You know, it, it's it's a mess. Johnny, 
on Sean Dyche, who's a manager that you know quite well mm. and you've interviewed before, mm. how do you think he'll be feeling about this? Because, you know, as Martin said, a lot of people looked at them, Everton, mm. as a situation and thought, mm. perfect man for the job, mm. Sean Dyche, he'll at least get them tight, he'll at least get mm. them solid. It's a struggle. Yeah, it is a struggle. I mean, I guess one trait he has, which I'm not sure will be a benefit or a curse in this situation is he he's not a manager that looks outside his own club very much he's, he's pretty tunnel visioned about what he does and, and likes to focus on that but he hasn't been able to surmount the issues in that squad so far the, 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 the way they leak goals and the, the way they can't score goals two biggest issues mm. facing Everton mm. reasonable midfield but the rest of it is has been substandard for quite a while and I think I had the same response watching them against Villa as, as probably a lot of people did, which was, this will be a long season for them. Yeah. Flirted relegation the last two years and they don't look like a club that's in any way been able to learn and move on from, from those in a football sense. But maybe that's linked to the fact that they're kind of, as we've been saying, paralysed in a financial sense mm. as well. But I, I cannot see anything other than a campaign right at the bottom of the league uh, and, and, a, and a really uncomfortable one unless they make some kind of miracle signing in the next few days yeah. somebody that's going to score a whole load of goals or, or some kind of galvanising figure but sooner otherwise, or later they're going to go yeah. Yeah. sooner or later, sooner or later yeah. they're going to go because if you hang around in, in those positions long enough eventually mm. you know it's the old thing about you going to a barber's every day eventually you get a haircut so <laughs> um, you know I, I don't know how they work <laughs> <laughs> but but you know that that's what's going to you know we we I'm sure we've all done games at Everton where this was going to be yeah. the, the game where they went down mm. this was going to be the season they went down and somehow they've somehow they've avoided it yeah. it can't keep happening Gregor, when you look at the squad they have now, thinking to Martin's point and to Johnny's, not just about the struggle at the bottom, but then a potential future in the Football League, and we're writing this early, very early days, etc., etc. Firstly, is that squad good enough to stay in the Premier League with Sean Dyche as it is now? And then secondly, if it were to drop down, theoretically, how would they cope in the Championship? Oh, the first one... Um... I think there's, the problem is there's a lot of injuries too and they're relying on mm, yeah. Carver Lewins injured, uh, Seamus Coleman, Dwight McNeil, I think even Jack Harrison who arrived on yeah. loan is not, yeah. not fully fit just now. There's a sea of red crosses up beside their squad list. <laughs> and it's, the goals are the massive issue. I think only Wolves scored fewer goals in the Premier League last year. Mm. Um, I read only Chelsea um, underperformed their XG mm. more so like they're not even, mm. they're just, they don't have a finisher. Mm. Uh, and when they're trying to sing Che Adams to fill that gap, much as I, you know, <laughs> love Che Adams now, mm. uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure he's the answer. Yeah. Um, so I agree, it's going to be touch and go all season for them. And then staying up, it's a huge question because really it would be you know, financial Armageddon for yeah. them because there are, I read somewhere that they're paying about fifty thousand a week in interest alone, mm. uh, in huge debt, and clearly the. The, the hearing in October is gonna could be pretty decisive for them as well. So, yeah. you know, there have been clubs in the past where they drop into the championship and it's like a reset. Yeah. But it feels like there's a lot of mess, largely financial, mm. that would make that very difficult because they've got a new stadium yeah. to, to to pay for. It seems to be a kind of a huge web of you know financial loans and trying mm. to get the finances in place to actually finish it as well. Yeah. And, and then often when you get loans and, and they're, they're secured against Premier League status because mm. you have the guarantee of yeah. 100 plus million pound coming in every yeah. year, when that ends, 
they have to be repaid. Yeah. So they cannot even think about going down. Yeah. I suppose the only hope, the, the only hope, but the, the one hope, the, the strongest hope that they've got is that once they get to that new stadium, yeah. if 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 somebody from outside can see the potential of that football club in that stadium, hmm. that you might get somebody that yeah. comes in and says, right, we can do something with yeah. this. This is this this place is at rock bottom. Yeah. We can get it up. We, yeah. we can build this up yeah. again. We can build it up from here with this stadium. But you've got to get to the stadium first. Yeah. They're still the fourth most successful club in yeah. English football. Mm. Yeah. You know, right. for Found people of my, of like my generation and younger, I think mm. that'd be quite, you know, gobsmacking. Yeah. Mm. They're level on Premier League titles in Manchester City. Yeah. Mm. So, like, undoubtedly, what Mara's saying is true. The potential, you know, when you see the investment that's coming in from all over the world in, in clubs with a view to you know, bringing them up to a better level. I think just all the yeah. all the mess around behind the scenes just now is the problem. And obviously they lost because of the, the sanctions and one of their sort of backers as well, Ushmanov. Mm. Uh, that, that's proved a huge, a huge issue for them as well. How much, Johnny, do you think that is part of the issue? We talk so yeah. much on the podcast and it's been a topic that I've asked you about a lot about what is your club? What is it? What, who are you? And, you know, Martin talks about going up and down. You think about clubs like Fulham, Norwich. Yeah. They become the clubs yeah. that go up and down. Then you have clubs like West Ham, who are a huge club with a great history, and they're trying to, you know, they don't want to be the club that goes up and down. Yeah. Everton, as Craig has just outlined, huge club, great his- yeah. historical standing. The idea that they would then be a club who goes up and down and drops into the championship, that's tough to take, right? Very tough to take. Um, uncharted territory for them, given how long they've been mm-hmm. in the top division, really. Um, but what, what, they, what they do have, and we, we do speak a lot about identity, they are one of the clubs that have got a special identity, I, I believe. Yeah, I They've got a, a different identity. Um, that's the potential of them. It, it, it's, it's got something, um, Goodison Park still, that, that, that is distinct that other clubs don't have. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel their supporters are almost inexhaustible in their passion because they've had 25, 30 years of more or less, no, mm-hmm. sorry, they haven't had part of the Moyes era, but before the Moyes era yeah. and after the Moyes era, it's been a club that's, that's that hasn't matched on the pitch what, what the supporters bring yeah. on the stands. Martin said, if you get to the new stadium and you have this identity and this history and this fan base, you've got something. Mm. But people buying football clubs aren't that sen- too sentimental. So mm. while they might see that potential, if there are financial issues that just make it too difficult to do a deal, there's plenty of other clubs you'd, you'd, you'd do a deal for instead. Yeah, um, and also that you, you need an owner that... that that spies the potential in the club to be something more than it is. Mike Ashley took over Newcastle yeah. and never really not, yeah. got what he had. Mm. And it's not going to be Mashiri, I don't think. I no. Think, I think no, you've no. seen enough of them. Oh, you're absolutely. Right, actually. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I mean, when I uh, started working in Manchester, uh, so that's, that's the early 80s, one of the first games I went to up there and I've never forgotten it, was the European Cup Winners' Cup semi-final against mm. Bayern Munich. And that was a fabulous game and just this incredible atmosphere. And you look at you look at that place when they're fighting for their lives, the game against Chelsea, I think it was, uh, and, and other matches like that. But to see it when they're doing well, to see it when they've got something at stake, mm. and they had Andy Gray knocking seven bells mm. out of Bayern Munich's defence, 
banging on the I can't, I can't remember if yeah. it was if it was I think it was the Bayern Munich players the substitutes and the coaches banging on the top like furious banging on the top of the Everton dugout because they were so angry at, at the battering that they, they were getting from Andy Gray <laughs> And the whole place just was just taking off. And what you've got to remember is that that team and therefore that club never quite fulfilled its destiny because English clubs then got banned from Europe. And, and, and so just at the point when Everton were ready to really take off, and I realise it's before the start of the Premier League and, and so it isn't the same financial benefit, but just at that point when they were really ready to take off, suddenly they were confined to domestic football as was everybody else. But what I, I, I really remember that night, and I was 20 years old or whatever, mm. just come up from London, just started at the Sunday People, and sitting there thinking, this is magnificent. This mm. is like nothing I've seen before um, in, a, in a football stadium. Like, it was brilliant. Johnny, Absolutely would you brilliant. agree with that about Goodison Park? Oh, definitely. And, and one thing that makes me think, this is a club that had Carlo Ancelotti as a manager not long yeah, ago. Yeah. And even Carlo couldn't. But that's part of it. That kind course. of goes back to that point about the, what are you? That, that yeah. was part of that difficulty, wasn't it? That they signed all those players, you know, the, also the Davy Klassen era, those Aye. signings. That, the, the, mean, the, it's so much the, waste. Yeah, so but that's the waste. thing is then, they, but that fell into the, we're trying to be something that we're maybe not no, anymore. I, I, I think it's, Sadly, it, it wasn't the aspiration that was wrong. It was the execution, I, yeah. I think, is, is, is how history will look at it. Agree. That that was a moment where there was money to spend and they did get big managers in mm. and without listing the signings and, and, and they're kind of, and they're jumping from one thing to another. You know, but how many good managers did they have in mm. that era? Um, it's, the, it's the way, it was the chaotic way it was executed and the money was spent as the issue. Well, Everton are definitely going to need those fans this season. And speaking of identity, we're going to move on to talk about captaincy. And Martin, an item in your column on Tuesday on Bruno Fernandes mm -hmm. at Manchester United. Um, tell us more about your views on him as a captain and you know what sparked your piece in that. Well, you know, if, if you go, if you think about captaincy, Glenn Hoddle made Alan Shearer his captain. Um, when he was England manager. And the reason he made Alan Shearer his captain was that he thought he'd get us more penalties. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's a... It's a um, his logic was, if Alan Shearer was the England captain, Alan Shearer is the guy that is entrusted to speak to the referee and, and everything. And if he has that relationship with the referee and that sense of trust from the referee that this is England's captain, this is the man that, you know, they give this armband to... The referee will be more inclined to believe him if he goes over in the penalty area. <laughs> and you can say that's super cynical, yeah. and indeed it is. But that's that's how he saw yeah. the role of captaincy. Now, did it work? I, Mark, I, Mark, did it work? Mark? Well, <laughs> we didn't win anything. If that's what. But, but the let's go back know, and check those stats. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, to be fair, you can see with the appointment of Bruno Fernandes that Manchester United are not really going for the winning friends and influencing people uh, angle because, you know, I don't know anybody apart from Manchester United fans who don't find him the, the most irritating player. But, um, Even some United fans, uh, yeah, I know them. They, they find him pretty annoying as well. And I just thought, I, I was watching him against Tottenham and... and you know, there was that sort of... It looked like there was a bit of snarkiness with his own teammates sometimes and, you know, with the referee. Uh, you're thinking, mate, you're the, you're the conduit between all of these sort of groups of people. Act like it. Mm. You know, you, you, you've got to act like it. And um, 
Harry Maguire can't get in the team, unfortunately. But you know, you got the sense that Harry Maguire, with the captain's armband on, was 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 a captain. I, I realise in other countries, captaincy is not regarded as anything that's particularly important. But I think it is in English football. I think I think English footballers look towards a leader. I think English managers and coaches and all coaches really like that English. You know not an English captain necessarily, but that sense yeah. of leadership that we regard as important. Mm. You, you know, you hear some of the, the best continental managers and some of the best planes hand over to their captain 10 minutes before kickoff and say, right, you, you finish the team talk, you give the team talk. Yeah. You know, Wenger used to do it uh, on occasions with people like Tony Adams and stuff. No. And because he could see the impact that he had. Mm. If you want an example, Fabio Capello's when Fabio Capello gave the captaincy back to John Terry, there were two, two three reasons for it. One uh, of them was that they canvassed the younger players. They canvassed the, the younger players in the squad, the people who just come into the squad. And they followed up and said, since you've been in the squad, have any of the senior players mm -hmm. stayed in touch with you? And they all said, they didn't say Stephen Gerrard's name, they didn't say Rio Ferdinand's name. They said, oh yeah, John Terry called and said that he'd seen me on Match of the Day and what a good performance. And, and if I carried on like that, right, so that's number one. Mm. Number two, everyone thought that Cabello was furious with John Terry standing up to him in South Africa. He wasn't. His attitude was, he wasn't the captain. Why did... Yep. Why was it him that went to me and said the fellas would just like to have a beer after a game just to unwind? Mm. Why wasn't it the captain that went to me? And the third one, and I think this is very interesting, is of those three players, he said, when John Terry, when you make him the captain, he becomes a better player. Mm. He said, as soon as you give him the armband, suddenly, right, mm. now, now I'm the captain, now I'm the leader, and he takes it upon himself. And I thought that was very, very interesting. And I also... It, which leads into something else. And that's why I was very surprised that there wasn't more of a battle around Declan Rice because Declan Rice is an obvious captain. And I don't think there's a huge amount of, of potentially great captains around. And I think that evidenced by the fact that Ten Hag can't see beyond mm. Bruno Fernandes, who's quite a divisive, fig mm. divisive figure on the field. Johnny, lots to unpack there. He's a funny, Bruno's a funny one because from what I understand off the pitch, he's a, he's a, he's a nice bloke. He's an he's a intelligent guy. He, 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 he's his friends with different corners of the dressing room. But on the pitch, as Martin said, he's, he, he, he just isn't a character that, that even his teammates want to. Um, he doesn't seem to play better with the armband. He does seem to play for himself a lot of the time. And that's possibly the thing that's stopped him becoming a truly great player because he's got so much talent. But there's an element of Bruno Fernandes' kind of playing his own game, always has been. This is a team that's got Casemiro and mm -hmm. Rafa mm -hmm. Varane. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go in a different direction, you could give it to Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it does, seem, it does seem an odd choice. But I think what we found with, with Ten Hag is he, he's... Maybe stubborn might be a, a word. He, he makes his own mind up about stuff and, and he kind of sticks to it. Captains can come in all, all shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. You know, look how Martin Odegaard's done for Arsenal. You wouldn't have thought no, he was no, going to no, be a great captain, mm. but he has been a really good one. Mm. But uh, one thing that he's done is he's played better, to speak to that point, with the armband on. And just from a narrow point of view, Bruno Fernandes has not been a better player as Man United captain than he was before it. And that, that alone might be a reason to... Mm -hmm. Um, give the armband yeah. to someone else. 
Who was the best captain you worked with, Gregor? I'm going to ask you who the worst was in a minute, so get, get your confidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably, I mean, Des Walker. Right, but mm. yeah. But I mean, he's Des Walker. And right. he was playing for Nottingham Forest in the championship at the end mm. of his career. He had so much of in the bank that made him clear. <laughs> he was clearly, he was clearly going to be a big captain for all of us. But there's other other players that you know you won't have heard of who I played played for, and some it's some it, there's all it's personality, it's leadership, it's respect, and sometimes it's just about being the best player too. Mm-hmm. So so Fernandez kind of falls into a few of them, but not like. Mm. But there's something changes on the pitch, and it's also you need to be respected by not just people in the shooting ch- changing room. You need to be respected by the referee, by the club, by yeah. the opposition. In fact, I yeah. think it's got you know that's mm. that's part of it. So I've often thought. I remember writing a piece a while back. Sometimes a captain can tell you what something about a team, what a team lacks, mm. even as well. I remember when Jacka was made captain like five years ago for Arsenal. It mm. was like you know. It's, it doesn't matter. Now there's leadership groups. We were talking before. There's yeah. Newcastle have a, uh, a leadership group because Jamal Lasalas is on is on the bench. So Trippy is, is often captain, but they're even sharing out the captain's column among among the leadership mm. group yeah. the, on a yeah. match day program. Yeah. But some, something in Arsenal were one where it's kind of he was voted, I think, by his teammates. But that told you something about what they lacked. And yeah. you looked around mm. and there wasn't really yeah. any other clear mm. candidates. Absolutely. But what Johnny's saying is true. There are people who won World Cups. There are people who are you know, huge players. And it's like, it felt almost like he, if he wasn't given it, mm. he wouldn't, perhaps wouldn't have taken yeah. it too well. <laughs> yeah. That, doesn't, seem, that, that doesn't feel like a good position from no. which to choose your captain. No. Do, you, do you agree, as a former player, to Martin's point about it mattering, mattering in, in, in the English game, in the British game? You know, to have that leader when you think about the dressing rooms you've been in. I do, yeah. And I know that that's, you know there are people who will think that's kind of a bit prehistoric now, considering all the yeah. all we're talking about. Mainly, hips to football journeys. Oh no, in Italy they're so sophisticated they yeah. just give well, it the, the, Premier League, off the Premier League is a global league yeah. now, so we yeah. say yeah, these are English but, traits, and the Premier League isn't an English yeah. league anymore. Mm. So I did feel that. Yeah, I think it, I think it I think who? it said a lot about the team. Yeah, it, who, it who you picked. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it said it said it kind of projected an image yeah. as well as sort of being someone that you as a team would look up to and feel confident and playing alongside and saying yeah he's our leader. You think about um, like Gregor's point and that there might have been a stop if if Fernandez hadn't gone yeah. in. We don't know that, but but there might have been. And then you think of say something like Chelsea where Rhys James yeah. really wanted the captaincy and so Mauricio Pochettino. Um, he hasn't got great experience of the squad has thought right this guy really wants it gives him the captaincy twang and now you know uh, this is a guy that yeah. averages 19 league games 19 league starts a season for Chelsea mm. out of 38 yeah. for the last four seasons 19 out of 38 matches he starts in the league so you haven't just lost the right yeah. back now you've lost the captain now you can say it doesn't really matter he's only yeah. captain for two matches what have they lost but now you've got to find someone else to give the armband to and say well you weren't my first choice but yeah. you know could you go and leave the team now it's it's, yeah. it's you know 
it, mm. I do think it's important. I, I think we need an expected captain metric. <laughs> please, that, please, hipsters. I don't think Bruno Fernandes would score that. No, we've kept the no. expected metrics out of the podcast a little bit so <laughs> yeah, far this yeah. season. Tom, Tom Roddy snuck one in the other day, which yeah, I, the, I, I nearly threw, nearly yeah. threw yeah. something at him. Yeah, we just make Monday the hipster game <laughs> column, and you know, this, this, this one's one a little football. <laughs> Proper football men. football men. It's only your second show, and you've already started a warring faction between. Yeah. Your own yeah, podcast. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought Kaz was going to be too happy being no. branded a hipster. Yeah. I'll, have I'll have to get Kaz in on Thursdays instead. Just very quickly, Greg, did you ever captain? Were you ever made captain of a team, either in a temporary way or in a permanent way? Once or twice temporary, yeah. How did, how did that feel? Did you like the responsibility? You know, thinking about all you've just said about it embodying what about a team, having that responsibility. Said, I think you said something about the team. <laughs> that they were struggling. <laughs> no, no, that your captain was missing. Yeah. So actually, yeah. you know, that's that's another factor. It's like, who's next in line? Yeah. Sometimes, if, as you say, and if we're picking a captain, and so I think Chilwell wore it. Yeah, 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 yeah. With Thiago Silva going. Neither yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. of those two guys screaming at you, like, yeah. screaming at your captain, but they've got a connection to the club. That's another another thing. It's mm. quite, you know, it's quite multi-layeredness, but I think the main thing is it says something about the team, both projecting an image to, to, the, to the outside world and to, to the rest of the dressing room fascinating topic and yet another one that I'm sure we could do an entire podcast on the issue of captaincy maybe we will and now it's time for my favourite part of Thursday's show and Martin you said about us prepping and oh, don't let don't let the listeners and uh, viewers know all about it well we've not prepped this bit because we didn't last week and I enjoyed it so much it's time to ask you a question from Bill Edgar's weekly fiendishly difficult quiz see how long the silence lasts this time it's about Arsenal v Fulham Arsenal had their Japanese defender Takihiro Tamiyasu sent off on Monday against Crystal Palace which Japanese player has appeared for both Arsenal and Fulham early this century yeah I got it we got that. Come on. That, yeah. Come on. We got that. Inamoto. Correct. Inamoto. Well done. I found an easy one. <laughs> 2002. Thanks, Very good. 2002 World Cup. You could not get... Gee, wow. You could not get a Japanese shirt. You couldn't get an Arsenal shirt. Because they they, they did it. well, didn't they? And, 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 and he started scoring. And I was out in Japan and you walked into their sports shop. I remember writing this piece. Uh, about the history of football in, in Japan, and the amazing thing was they they had a sport they had a football show, shop about ten years before they had a, a, a proper Japanese league with foreign players in it, and also they had this football shop from about the early seventies, and it went in there and you had good Muller's golden boot and stuff <laughs> like that. It was just a, amazing, very Japanese sort of place, you know, this uh, fixation with collecting things. And, um, but you, the only shirt you could buy in there, and they only had a couple of them left, was God awful Arsenal away kit that oh, was yeah, like yeah, yellow yeah, and yeah, blue, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Tell, like diamonds, millions of them, uh, or triangles. Probably and, a big collector's item if you uh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And because everybody had bought up every single Japanese shirt and every single Arsenal first team shirt to put in a moto on the yeah. back. People <laughs> jumping off bridges and stuff like that to celebrate, that. jumping into the river. All these students jumped into the river to celebrate. Uh, Japan winning their match. Absolutely fascinating yeah, stuff. Certainly a cult figure. Um, huge relief to know that you got that one right. Yeah. I, I got eight out of ten, by the way, on the full quiz. So make sure you test yourself and let me know on Twitter how you got on. And we're going to finish the show, guys, talking about Ben Foster. Um, announced his second retirement from football um, at the age of 40, having conceded 13 goals in four Ooh. matches for Wrexham Gregor. Finding life a little bit difficult in the Football League, as well as his team. You wrote a piece about his retirement. Um, 
the right decision. I mean, it sounds like it, looking at the goal records. <laughs> looking at the fact he's shipped five twice uh, in the opening four league games. Um, yeah, I mean, I have sympathy. This is, you know, there are many things we've discussed in this podcast about which I have no experience. <laughs> I can't really give any, I can't give much kind of, but one is your legs going. Yeah. Or in this case, maybe his arms too. Just the, how horrible it is when your body no longer moves as quick as your mind. And clearly that's what he's saying. He's saying, I would have, I would have saved these, mm. these, uh, some of these shots a few years ago. Mm. Um, and it's fascinating, as we were discussing before, that mm. that's still the case in League Two from a former England international. Mm. Um, and that, you know, Wrexham as well are finding out that no matter how much money you have, it's not going to be a walk in the park in, in England's fourth team. Yeah, I mean, it's a league, Martin, that is not just high standards on the pitch, but off the pitch. The attendances are, mm-hmm. are high. It's no, a subject you mentioned in the other in year, Tranmere versus Salford, just under 10,000 people at Tranmere, and, and Salford don't get huge gates, so you, you, that's not a massive influx of away fans, mm-hmm. necessarily. That's all about people wanting to go to Tranmere. There was a uh, Wrexham's gate was over 10,000. There was another one. Doncaster got, I think, eight and a half or nearly 9,000. They're 91st out of 92 clubs at the moment, Doncaster Rovers. Getting, you know, and, and with no sort of pedigree of, oh, they were, you know, it's not like Bradford where you go, well, they were in the Premier League at, at one stage. You know, it's Doncaster Rovers. Mm. Um, and so I just think, I think the other thing that you take away from that as well is that the Wrexham project what makes the Wrexham project special and and important is that actually it's based in reality mm-hmm. you know it's reality television the show but it's not a reality television club it's actually still got to be run as a league two club and if there was any any at all motivation that, that Ben Foster has got this great YouTube channel and everything mm. like that. If there was even that much of a thought, well, that would be quite handy. He's comfortable in front of a camera or whatever. Mm. It gets very, very quickly dispelled when you ship five goals uh, in, in two of your matches and suddenly it's, we need a league two yeah. goalkeeper. We need somebody that is going to, yeah. uh, mm. is quick enough and agile enough yeah. to survive in this league. I remember my, my final season at Grimsby Town in the National League. I would have been 33. And you all, you know, I'd been injured and I came back um, and I was on the bench because we'd signed someone on loan in my absence. Right. Connor Townsend, who's now at West Brom. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's the first time in my life because you always, 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 no matter what, every professional thinks they should be in the team. Yeah. And this is the first time in my life watching this game, watching Connor Townsend bombing down the left and left back, whipping crosses, like a <laughs> couple of assists. I thought, I shouldn't be in this team. Yeah. And that's a horrible feeling. Yeah. yeah and you yeah, must, you know, he's, he's obviously getting to this point, yeah. even if it's in fourth year. And in training football. as well, when you're just like, playing against people. I, I'm, I'm holding the team back here, or there's someone who actually could do a better job than me. You, you mentioned that loan move from someone like Connor Townsend down to the National League. Do you think that plays a part in the, the standards being a little bit higher, you know, and also financially as well? We were talking earlier about investment, people taking a chance on Everton. This is a subject we've discussed on the game before. Uh, you know, people with money are looking to the football league mm-hmm. now for 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 a bit of fun, for a bit <clears> of investment, and for a chance of the journey up the pyramid. Yeah, you- yeah I mean, <clears throat> look all across the league, and 
particularly from the US I think Gillingham now won the first four games 1-0 yep. they've got top uh, of league too US ownership and they spent a lot of money they spent a lot of money in January to kind of haul them out from the relegation yeah, level yeah, and yeah, yeah. to, to yeah. easy safety so yeah absolutely the standards have been raised all the time um, and just looking at some of the the attendance figures from last year League 2 was the 14th best uh, support league in, in, in Europe mm. League 1 <clears throat> was in the top 10 and the Championship was fifth mm. behind um, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga and Serie A. So, like, there's, I don't think there's anywhere who's got the same sort of yeah. level of uh, support and you know, professionalism, investment, depth of quality as, as in English, English football. Scout, Scout said something interesting to me about a year ago, which was the last 15 years I've seen this huge investment in academies and the EPPP, which is effectively, if you think about, we've got an industry where... We've had a decade and a half of ever more people being put onto the job market, young graduates coming out of these places, equipped, skilled. But the number of jobs has stayed the same in this industry because mm. it's 92 clubs <laughs> and, and squads are pretty much the same size. So it's natural. He was talking in the context of wastage and how many kids are going to fall by the wayside. Mm. But it's just natural there's going to be a filter down mm. where those job places are, are is ever more competition to get even into a League 2 squad from players who are, who are very, very talented mm. and, and and standards clearly clearly are rising. Yeah. You, you see, in cup tournaments now yeah. and stuff, if a Premier League team rests half of its players or they get beat. Mm. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's no true. longer, it, you know, it's no longer the people say, oh, everyone rests players, everyone does, yeah. But actually, if you look at the, you know, an Everton, say, and then they go, right, we're playing in the cup, but we've got a chance of IV, we'll rest eight players. They go to someone in League One or they go to someone in the Championship and they get turned mm-hmm. over. It's as simple as that because the gap is, it, it's not as big. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it, it's big when you come up and Luton Town are going to find it hard and Sheffield United are finding it hard. But at the same time, in, in those in those one-off games and you know and you see cracking players in, in, in the lower leagues whenever whenever it's the FA Cup third round yeah. and, and you know you, you suddenly get this attention on the lower leagues you'll see a match and you'll see a kid playing or you'll see a, you know someone play, and you'll think blimey he's got a yeah. league two isn't he he's mm. but must have a league one isn't he that far <laughs> and, and, it, it, and yeah. I think it's exactly as Johnny says that you know Thing people feel feel the game away. Yeah. Do you think that just final word on this in terms of that talent and you know not just the your Connor Townsend point as when you were a player, but looking at it now and obviously former teammates and things who are working in the game maybe as coaches and things. Do they tell you that the standards are a bit higher, the technical abilities a bit more? Because I think to Johnny's point about the agent, maybe the other thing is that when Premier League clubs are loaning players out, they're going, well, do you play how we want this kid exactly. to play? Absolutely. Do, is that a factor as well in terms of the standard getting higher? Yeah, undoubtedly the standards are getting higher because you know people I played with in the championship, the, the league is unrecognisable. And mm. part of that's to do with investment in the Premier League and players trickling down. Part of that, as Johnny's saying, is to do with the development of talented players as well um, in the academies. So unquestionably, the standards raising all the time. Um, I I just I dread to think what division I would have played in. <laughs> I reckon you'd have easily made it into League Two. <laughs> but the point is, is true as well about the 
mm. how, how football is being played because out to your team Lincoln mm. for example when Michael Applett was in charge yeah. he easily got players from yeah. Manchester City or mm. you know from yeah. Premier League teams Brennan Johnson from Forest yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, because they knew he played in a certain style of football so yeah. that's a big part of it and loans can transform a team season absolutely it can yeah. be the difference yeah absolutely my wife's cousin um, Charlie Charlie Lee was the captain of Tottenham's youth team all the way through and, and you know, was was really regarded as, as one of their best young prospects but wasn't quite good enough to play for Tottenham. But I had a career at Peterborough and Millwall and Gillingham later on and, and had a very good career. And that was Tottenham's youth team captain. Now, you think of years gone by, if you were Tottenham's youth team captain, you'd eventually get in and play for Tottenham. But now you've got this influx of foreign players and stuff like that. It's so much harder to get into those teams. So Charlie ended up playing lower division football all his career. And had a good career. Mm. Had a, a good late Orient and yeah. had, had a good career all the way through. Yeah. But he was Tottenham's youth team captain. Yeah. Absolutely. Lots and lots of talent in the Football League. So a little plea to go and watch your local team maybe this weekend. If you can yeah. get a ticket. If you, well, you can't get a ticket. Yeah, if well, you, you can, can get, get a ticket. Cup in there, like you go ahead and watch Adam LaFondra. Exactly. All yeah, go and watch can. Adam LaFondra. Yeah. Top, top player. Great talent. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks, yeah, Johnny. He's on his way down a bit. Thanks, thanks, <laughs> thanks Chats, for reminding me of that one. Just thought I'd got away with it. Martin Samuel, Johnny Northcroft and Gregor Robson. Thank you for joining me. Uh, stick with us. Make sure you're subscribed. And on Monday, Tony Cascarino and the hipsters will be back. <laughs> As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.